So the title we've given to our current series is uh, Who Are You and What Are You Doing Here? Now, again, that's a pretty uh, rude greeting, but it, as a title, it, it serves to really sum up what Ephesians is really about. It, the, the book serves to answer two major questions for us. Who are you? What is your identity? And what are you doing here? What's your purpose with which God has left you here on earth? What are you doing here? What is it that God wants you to be about? Because in Christ, this is the message of the gospel. Not only has God given you an identity, but he's also given you a mission. Those two things are so important. God has given you an identity in Christ, and he's also called you to a mission in Christ. And here's the thing that's important to think about. Identity determines activity. Think about that. Identity determines activity. That's why these two questions of identity and activity or mission are so closely related. That's why this, you know, what we're talking about here is so important. They're so related because your identity determines your activity. When you know who you are, then you know what to do. And the message of the gospel is not only that Jesus Christ died for you so that you can receive forgiveness of your sins and eternal life, but it is also that in him you can receive a whole new life and a new identity. That's what we've been studying about for the past several weeks as we've been looking at the first half of Ephesians, the first three chapters. We've been talking about finding our identity in Christ, learning to find our identity not in who we think we are or who other people say that we are, not in the things that we do or have done or the things that have been done to us, but finding our identity in who God declares us to be in Christ. So over the last several weeks as we've been doing this study, one of the great things has been all the great feedback that has come in. Feedback from people who have been listening to the series and been telling us that it's been so, in a way, life-changing for them to remember or be reminded of or, or find for the first time this idea of finding their identity in Christ. That as you establish who you are in Christ, it changes the way that you think. And as you change the way that you think, it changes the way that you feel and it affects the decisions that you make and the way that you live. So here's the thing that's important for us to remember. When you find your identity in Christ... It changes how you live. And really, as we get into the second half of Ephesians now, that is the point, that is the focus of the second half. That the truth of the gospel should affect the way that you live practically. This is a very practical section, chapters 4 through 6. And that's why the key verse of the section we're looking at today is uh, verses 23 and 24, which say this. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And that's, the, that's what we're getting at today. Be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Change the way that you think. Bring your thoughts in line with what God says is true about you. And then... Put on the new self. You have been made new in Christ. Put on that new self and walk in newness of life. So again, it's been good over the last several weeks to have people coming up to me and telling me, you know what, uh, this study has been so good for me because I needed to be reminded of who I am in Christ. And it's changing the way that I think and that's changing the way that I live. And, and I, that's important because I don't want this series or, or anything that we study here, I don't want it to just be information for you, but we want it to be transformation. And, and 
God's word says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So each week as we look at the text, we've been, we've been really focusing in on two questions as, as our title you know, gives away. Who are you and what are you doing here? Those are the two questions that we've been answering from our text every week. So who are you in Christ? The answer that we see again this week is this. You are new. Who are you in Christ? You are new. And what are you here for? That's what we're talking about today. You are here. Here's one of the purposes with which God has left you here. That God wants you to be about. You are here to reflect Jesus to the world. That's your mission. You are here to reflect Jesus to the world. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told his disciples this. He said, you are the light of the world. And then he said, let your light so shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. He told them, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine that people will see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now that's an interesting thing because here's why. Jesus tells them, you are the light of the world. Now, now here's the thing. Jesus also said, I am the light of the world. That's kind of interesting, right? So he said that he's the light of the world. And actually, he said that three different times. I am the light of the world. I am the true light that has come into the world. Jesus says three times, I am the light of the world. So how is it that Jesus says he's the light of the world, but then he tells us that we are also the light of the world? Well, think of it in terms of this. Think of it like the sun and the moon, right? In the book of Genesis, it says that God put two great lights in the sky. The greater to rule by day and the lesser to rule by night. Obviously speaking the sun and the moon. So God refers to the moon as a light which he has placed in the sky. As a light for the earth. But as we know the moon actually is not a source of light. right? It, it has no light of its own. What the moon does is it reflects the light of the sun. And that's how it is with us. And, and here's the thing to remember. We are only the light of the world in as much as we reflect the light of Jesus. Okay? We are only the light of the world in as so much as we reflect Jesus to the world. We have no light of our own. He is the source of light. And our calling, as we're talking about today, is to reflect his light into the world. Jesus encouraged us to do that in such a way as it wouldn't bring glory to us, but it would bring glory to the Father. And so the question that you and I have to consider is this. What does that look like practically? How do you practically go about reflecting the light of Jesus to the world? And that's exactly what we're talking about today. Who are you in Christ? You are new. You've been given a new self, one that's created after the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness and the way that you and I can fulfill our mission. God's calling and purpose for our lives to bring glory to his name by reflecting him to the world. Here's how. By putting off the old self and putting on the new self and living out this new life, this life of Christ that we have been given and living it out in every aspect of our lives and every area that we live in so we'll begin here in verse 17 and we're just going to go verse by verse but but before we talk about putting on the new self which is our focus today we have to first talk about putting off the old self so first we're going to be talking about the old self verse 17 Paul says this now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk 
as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Because you have been made new in Christ, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now this word Gentile is also translated pagan because in the Bible that's who, were, who the Gentiles were. They were pagans. They were people who didn't know God. They didn't walk with God. They didn't love God. They didn't obey God. They're not filled with the Holy Spirit. They don't have a relationship with God. These are the Gentiles, the pagans, right? And he's saying, don't walk like them anymore. They're going a different direction. Don't walk in that direction any longer. Here in chapters 4, 5, and 6, as we're talking about this practical outworking of who we are in Christ, the main metaphor that the author Paul is using is this metaphor of walking. He mentions this a number of times, walking, which refers to how you actively live, the things you actively pursue, the direction that you're actively and practically moving in. So chapters 1 through 3, they're all about what God has done for us in Christ. And now 4 through 6 are about how we should walk in light of those truths. And the point is this. If you're a Christian, your life is supposed to be different. Your life is supposed to be distinguishable and different from the lives of people who don't know Jesus. Okay, your life should be different. You should walk differently. So I'm going to give you in this, uh, we're going to have a number of practical steps for how we can reflect Jesus to the world. And the first one that we come across is this one. Dare to be different. If you want to show Jesus to the world, the first practical step is this. You have to dare to be different. You know, any dead fish can float downstream, right? But it takes a live fish to swim against the flow, to go against the current, to go uh, against the flow. So if you want to reflect Jesus to the world, here's what Paul's saying. You have to dare to be different. You have to be ready and willing to take a different path than the majority of the people around you. From, you have to be willing to go against the flow from the way that the majority of people in the world are going. Verse 18, uh, the first part, it says this. They are darkened in their understanding. Remember, we're talking about the old man, what the Bible and other places refers to as the natural man. They are darkened in their understanding. That's a very strong statement, really, right? What it's saying is that people who have not been born again, who have not come to know the Lord, that they are darkened in their understanding. That their thinking is off base, right? That's what it's saying. It's very strong words here. They're not thinking clearly. There's something wrong with their thinking because it says they're in the dark. When you're in the dark, you know what you see clearly? Nothing, right? You don't see anything clearly. That's why people in our society today, we see them declaring bad things to be good. We see them declaring darkness to be light uh, because it says here their minds are futile and their understanding is darkened. See, worshiping God is not just about moral activity. Some people get that impression that Christianity is all about morality, but here's another one. It's also about mental activity. It's not just what we do, it's also what we think, how we think. Jesus said this, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. He said this is the first and greatest commandment, but notice that. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, right? One of the ways that we worship God is by not being conformed to the pattern of this world in our thinking, but being transformed by the renewing of our minds. You know, because many problems of activity are rooted in, in our mind, right? They're, they're problems, they begin with problems of the mind. The way that we think affects the way that we live. 
So here's your next practical step in how we can reflect Jesus to the world. Bring your thinking in line with God's word. Bring your thinking in line with God's word. That's what's being talked about here. It's talked about being renewed in the spirit of your mind. Because the way that you think affects the way that you live. And notice this, and then it goes on in verse 18 to say, what is at the root of this darkened understanding? It says these people are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. It says why? It is due to their hardness of heart. So the root issue here, when y'all get down to it, is the hardness of heart. Because what the Bible would say is that all people intuitively know that there is a God. They know certain things about God, right? They know that God is loving, that God is gracious, that he's great, right? That he is ultimately the one that they have to answer to. That basically he is the Lord. But the reason why people, people are alienated from God, alienated from the life of God, given over to darkness and futility in their understanding, here's why. Because their hearts are hardened toward God. You know, the Bible talks about the heart more than 900 times. That's a lot. In the Bible, the, the heart is the seat. It is the sum. It is the center of who you are. And it is possible, according to, to the Bible, to have a heart that is tender towards God or to have a heart that is hard towards God. A heart that's tender towards God is one that says, tell me the truth. Even if it hurts, tell me the truth because I want to change. I want to learn. I want to grow. But the hard heart, you know what the hard heart says? It says, no. Just puts his foot down and says, no. I don't care what you say. It's going to be how I want it to be. And you know, having a hard heart is a, is a quite dangerous thing in the Bible. As we see here that having a hard heart is what leads to people being alienated from the life of God. So it's worth examining our hearts regularly and asking ourselves, what is my heart like? What is the condition of my heart? Do I have a heart that is hard towards God or do I have a tender heart? In verse 19, on the same issue of the heart, we get some more important insight into how one can end up with a hard heart, right? How does that happen? says this, they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. It says a callous. Have you ever had a callous? Those of you who work with your hands, maybe you swing a hammer, or maybe some of you ladies who do needlework, right? You, you get calluses on your fingers. Those of you who play the guitar, you develop calluses. You know, um, the, a callous is essentially the result of prolonged pressure on a certain point, right? You keep putting pressure on a certain point and eventually you develop a callus. And what a callus is, is basically just a bunch of dead skin, right? That builds up over time. And, that, and that's what happens with a hard heart as well. You do something and you feel convicted, you know it was wrong, but then you do it again. And then you do it again and you keep putting pressure on that same point. And what happens is the more that you do it, the less you feel. And you keep putting pressure on that same point and what happens is eventually you develop a dead spot in your heart. You no longer feel anything. You no longer feel remorse. You no longer feel conviction. You no longer feel regret. Whereas before your heart was tender. And you, you have developed a hard heart, a calloused heart. 
Not only do you not feel anything in that area, but you have no desire to even change. It's a dangerous place to be in because ultimately it leads to alienation from the life of God. And we see that another thing that happens when when people's hearts have been hardened, it tells us this, that, that after a while they give up. You just give up, right? They cast off inhibitions and just go for it, right? Just dive in head first. The, the language here is that they just give up. They give themselves over to impurity. I don't know if you've ever experienced that in er- some area of your life where you've just said, you know what? I'm just going to go for it, right? I've been trying. I've been uh, resisting. I've been refraining. I've been just, you know, restraining myself. But you know what? I'm doing it anyway, and I'm just going to give up. I'm just going to dive in head first to all kinds of sin and temptation, right? Because you've given up. Well, that's what eventually happens here. He says that you, you continue to develop this callous on your, your heart, right? That you become callous by continually hardening your heart and doing these same things. And after a while you say, well, you know what? I'm doing it anyway. I might as well just give up and give in and just go for it. So here's another practical step I want you to see. For reflecting Jesus to the world. That is our mission. That's our purpose. That's what we're here for. To reflect Jesus to the world. And here's another practical step. Don't allow your heart to get hard. Don't allow your heart to become hard. Proverbs, Proverbs 4 verse 23 says this. Keep your heart, or in other words, guard your heart. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the springs of life. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flows the spring of life. Because as we see here, when your heart gets hard, it darkens your understanding. It messes up your thinking, and it leads to dead spots in your soul. But here's the deal. In Christ, the hope of the gospel is this. The hope of the gospel is that God can remove a heart of stone, and he will replace it with a heart of flesh. That's a promise that God even gave to his people Israel. We read it in Ezekiel 11, 19, and 20 for you note takers. It says, I will remove your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh, and you will be my people, and I will be your God. That is the hope of the gospel. In Christ, not only God doesn't want to reform your heart, he wants to replace it. He wants to give you a new heart. And for you and I, though, who have received a new heart, we need to be, we, we have been made new in Christ, and what we need to do is guard our hearts. We need to guard our hearts and be wise, lest we allow a callus to develop on our hearts, lest we eventually just give up and give ourselves over to impurity. And then we end up just walking like those who don't even know the Lord. So one very important step in fulfilling our mission of showing Jesus to the world is this. Keep watch over your heart with all vigilance. Make sure that we don't go down that path of hardening our hearts. So we've been talking about the old self. This is the old self essentially, right? Hard heart, callous, given over to sin, darkened in our understanding, futility of mind. Nothing good going on here. But Paul says this. But that is not the way that you learn Christ. In verse 20, that is not the way that you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That's verses 20 to 24. 
Paul is saying this. If Jesus has made you new, then put off the old self. That former manner of life that you lived in. Put it off. Leave it behind. Be done with it. Don't walk that way anymore. But instead be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Change your thinking. Put on the new self. Whereas you used to live according to deceitful desires, now you live according to the desires and the will of God. Make that choice. And that's such an interesting phrase. It's something I think we could unpack for a long time. What does that mean? Deceitful desires. What is a deceitful desire? Now obviously it's a desire that you have which promises something which it cannot and will not deliver. It is deceitful. It's telling you one thing, I'm going to do this for you, but it cannot deliver what it promises. It's a lie. That's essentially what a temptation is, right? It promises something, but it won't deliver. Now, Now here's the interesting thing, this phrase, deceitful desires. Check this out. In Jeremiah chapter 17, we read this phrase. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it, right? In other words, the human heart is deceitful. It is full of deceitful desires. And what Paul's saying is something very profound. He's saying, whereas before... Before you walked with God, you you just followed the desires and inclinations, the whims of your heart. You used to follow your heart. Don't follow your heart anymore. Don't do that. Don't do just whatever your heart tells you to do. Be renewed in your mind. Put on the new self. Walk in a way that reflects the likeness of God in holiness and in righteousness. You know, we live in a world that's full of platitudes, right, in our society. And one of the platitudes that you hear a lot is is this one about your heart you know listen to your heart you know uh follow your heart just do whatever your heart tells you i was watching the disney movie pocahontas yesterday with my kids i wasn't watching by myself i wouldn't do that no (laughs) anyway so here i am watching pocahontas and you know that's not really it turns out that's not really a christian movie don't know if you knew that uh afterwards my kids were like dad Is it true that all the trees and rocks have spirits in them? I was like, no kids, it's not. And get out your Bibles. I'm going to read to you the entire Old Testament right now. That's all we're going to do for the rest of the day because I need you to recover from watching Pocahontas. But anyway, in Pocahontas, there's this tree, right? It's like the grandmother tree and it sings this song to Pocahontas. She's like, what should I do? So she goes to the tree and the tree sings her this song and essentially says, if you want to know what to do, listen to your heart. Well, you know what the Bible would say is, if you want to listen to your heart, then that what the Bible would say is, listen to your deceitful desires because your heart is deceitful. It's full of deceitful desires. So yes, go, you know, Pocahontas, listen to your deceitful desires. Follow your deceitful desires. Well, it sounds a whole lot different when we put it that way, right? That doesn't sound good at all. Um, but, but here's what the Bible would say. Don't follow your heart. No, follow God. Don't do whatever your heart tells you to do. No, be renewed in your mind, man. Don't just follow the whims of your heart. Don't let your heart be your compass in life. It's full of deceitful desires but rather live according to the will and desires of God. Put off the old self. Put on the new self. This is the language of changing your clothes, essentially, really what he's saying. He's saying change your clothes. Put off the new self. Put on the new self. You're taking off and putting on, right? And what this is encouraging us to do is to make a conscious choice, right? We're talking about conscious choice. To stop living the old life. 
and to make active efforts and practical steps to live a new life that you have received in Christ. You are making an active decision to put off the old life and live in this new way. You're putting on this new person, this new self that you have become in Christ. A new way of talking, a new way of behaving, a new way of living. And what this means is this, that you make a choice to live the life of Christ every day, every throughout the day. Make a choice to be loving. Make a choice to be compassionate. Make a choice to forgive, okay? Even if you don't feel like it. Well, some people might say, hey, well, that sounds like, you know, contrived. And it's not contrived, it's a choice. And that's what it's telling us, right? You, you don't just sit around and wait for God to change your heart. God will change your heart, but here's the thing. You can't just sit around and wait for it to happen. You make a choice also to put on this new self, the life of Christ which has been given you. You say, I don't feel like forgiving. Well, let's say make a choice to do it anyway. Put on this new life of Christ. And, and here we have some practical instruction on what it means to put on this new self. And we'll speed up a little bit here and live the life of Christ that we've been given. Uh, and, and here it is in verse 25. It begins this list of ways that we can reflect Jesus. And we're going to just add these to our ongoing list. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak the truth to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Here's a practical way to reflect Jesus to the world. Speak the truth. Okay? Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. Be a person of integrity. Right? Be a person of integrity. You know what's interesting about the Bible is that it dares to say things that are true even though they will inevitably offend people. You know, sometimes you read the Bible, I'm like, man, that is some strong language there. I'm not sure I would dare to say that, but here, the Bible is, is, is going to tell you the truth even though it takes the risk of offending. So many of us, right, we're so afraid of offending people that we are unwilling to speak the truth. Uh, sometimes, you know, we, we'll bend the truth. We'll even lie just to, you know, make people happy. Other times we just kind of tiptoe around the truth. But, but here's how you can show the character of Jesus to the world. Be a person of integrity. Tell the truth, even when it's hard, even when there are going to be consequences for you telling the truth. Dare to stand for something, but always make sure you do it in love. As I, as I told you last week, a truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is sentimentality. But speaking the truth in love, that's Christianity. The next one, verses uh, 26, we read this. Be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. You know, there are certain emotions that throughout the Bible are almost always negative. They're, they're listed as negative, right? But they can be positive in certain circumstances. Now, one of these is anger. Another one is fear. And another one is jealousy. <coughs> Let me explain. Uh, you know, throughout the Bible, you see that anger is consistently referred to as a bad thing, right? Like, hey, don't be angry. Yet we're told that sometimes God is angry, right? And the same goes for fear. Throughout the Bible, told over and over, don't fear, right? Don't let fear overcome you. It's a negative emotion. Yet we are told that we should fear the Lord, right? There's a godly fear. There's the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of knowledge. There's the fear of the Lord that is the fountain of life, right? 
Jealousy is another interesting one. We're told over and over throughout the Bible that it's bad to be jealous, right? In fact, it's even listed in lists of other bad things that you shouldn't do. But yet, in the Ten Commandments, I mean, it's not even like in an obscure place. The Ten Commandments, right? God says, I am a jealous God. And Paul tells the Corinthians, I have loved you with a jealous love because I promised you to one husband and I intend to give you to him. Right? So there is such thing as a good, godly jealousy. What matters with with all these emotions that I mention here is what is at the root of them. There are good reasons and there are bad reasons to have these emotions. And here, regarding anger, what we're reminded of is that anger is not always a bad thing. There is such a good thing as, there is such a thing as godly anger. There is such a thing as right anger. But most anger that we experience is not godly anger. We need to check ourselves on that. But godly anger does exist. You know that Jesus got angry. He entered the temple and he saw that there were merchants and they were ripping people off who had come to worship God. And he got angry and he said, how can you do this? You're defiling the house of God. And he turned over their tables and he dumped all their stuff on the ground. Right? There are actually things that the Bible says that we should be angry about. And that if you're not angry about them, something's wrong with you, right? Because God's angry about them and and you should feel the same way that he does about them, right? You should be angry about injustice. You should be angry when weak people are taken advantage of, when helpless people are abused. Those things are wrong. They should incite within us godly indignation. But what matters is, what do you do with your anger, right? It's not always wrong to be angry. What matters is, why are you angry? Is it about you or is it about something that is legitimate, that God is also upset about? And what do you do with your anger? Here's what it tells us. Be angry, but don't sin, right? And don't let the sun go down on your anger. It's not wise to go to bed angry. And here's the point. Here's why. The point is don't hold on to your anger. Don't let anger fester within you, even godly anger. Don't let it fester within you. Don't hold on to it. And, and how do you do that? Here's how you do it. You give it to God and you let go of it. You say, God, I'm angry about this, but I'm going to put it in your hands, you know? If you're angry about something someone has done to you, you need to forgive them. You need to put that in God's hands. If you're, if you're angry about something that is truly like righteous indignation, well, again, stay, holding on to that anger, you know what you're doing? You're locking yourself up in your own little prison, right? It's like drinking poison and hoping that the other person dies. The only person it's going to affect is you. You're just killing yourself, right, by holding on to anger. You're the only one who's going to suffer. If you're angry because of injustice, again, with godly anger, you have to put that in God's hands because ultimately that's not your burden to bear. So here's the point. Don't hold on to that anger. You're just going to kill yourself, ruin yourself. But here's the practical reason why letting go of your anger is so important. Here's why it's important to let go of your anger. Verse 27, and give no opportunity to the devil. Some of your translations will translate that, give no ground to the devil. Well, my, my personal favorite, the NIV says, give no foothold to the devil. Now, I'm, a, I'm not much of a rock climber. I've tried it. I'm sure that most of you in here are way better at it than I am. But I do kind of understand this picture of what a foothold is, right? Um, the idea here is don't give Satan anything to hold on to. Don't give him anything that he can 
take hold of and get a place in your life, an opportunity, uh, an opportunity to work and climb your walls, right, and take you down. If you hold on to anger, essentially what you're doing is you're giving the devil an opportunity. You're giving him a foothold. You're giving him something to work with in your heart. He'll use whatever he can to create division and discord, to create destruction. So the point is this, don't give him anything to work with. And, and here's what all this talk about anger really comes down to. Here's our next practical step in how to reflect Jesus to the world. Practice self-control, okay? Practice self-control. That's what it's all about here. Be angry, but don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, which means, hey, don't let it get it the best of you. Give it over to God and give no opportunity to the devil. It all comes down to self-control. And you know, self-control is not just pulling ourselves up by the bootstraps. Self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. You look in Galatians 5 and you look at those fruits of the Spirit. When you are filled with the fullness of God, you know what is characterized in your life? Self-control. Self-control is something that Jesus exhibited in an extraordinary way. One way that we reflect Jesus to the world around us is by being self-controlled, not allowing our anger to get the best of us, not holding on to things that have been done against us, and not letting the devil have a foothold in our lives. Verse 28, let the thief steal no longer, but let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands that he may have something to share with anyone in need. The next practical step that you can take to reflect Jesus in the world, here it is, Give generously. Give generously. Not only is the person who steals told not to steal anymore, but they're told to work so that they have something to give, right? Something to give. Stealing, right, it's pretty much one of the most selfish things that you can do. You're taking somebody else's thing for yourself. What essentially is being said here is this. I want you to no longer be selfish, focused on yourself, but I want you to work so that you have something to give. I want you to be focused on being a blessing to others. That's the heart of Jesus. And when we are generous, we are reflecting that heart of God who was incredibly, who is incredibly generous to us. Uh, Jesus is the embodiment of self-sacrificing generosity. He gave up everything for us, left the riches and glory of heaven to become one of us to reveal to us the kingdom and ultimately to give himself for us that we might live. So one practical way to reflect Jesus to the world is by being generous. Verse 29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The next practical step in reflecting Jesus to the world, be edifying. Be a builder, right? Use your words to build people up rather than to tear them down. And not just to their face. I want you guys, be people who build people up behind their back, right? Talk about people behind their back and build them up, right? Let me ask you, think about this. Consider it. Do your words build up others or do they tear them down in other people's eyes? Be a builder. Don't be a destroyer. You know why? The Holy Spirit is in the business of building. You know what Satan's all about? He's a destroyer, right? I'd rather do the work of the Spirit. I don't want to be used by Satan for his work. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit who's within you by being involved in corrupting talk. Be a person who builds. Be a person who edifies those around you. That's a way that you can reflect Jesus to the world. And verses 31 and 32 will finish here. 
Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This final practical step that we're looking at today, how can we fulfill our purpose, our mission of reflecting Jesus to the world? Here's how. Be gracious and be forgiving. As you forgive those who sinned against you, you have the opportunity to live out the life of Christ, to reflect him to those around you. So here's what it all comes down to. Identity determines action. When you know who you are, then you know what to do. So who are you? Here's the answer. What is your identity in Christ? Here's what we're looking at today. You are new. In Christ, you've been given a new life. And it's not that God wants to reform the old you. He just wants to say, let's just trash that one. We're going to get a new you, a new self created after the likeness of Christ in righteousness and holiness. We see that throughout the Bible, people encounter God and they are changed. And some of them become, they're, they're a completely different person, so much so that they need a new name because their old name doesn't fit them anymore. They've become a, a new person in Christ. That is who you are in Christ. A new person created in his likeness. So that old self, it needs to die. You need to put it off. You need to do it daily. You need to do it throughout the day. Put off that old person and put on this new self, the life of Christ created after the image of Christ. That's who you are in Christ, a new person. And what are you here for? You're here to reflect Jesus to the world, to be the light of the world, reflecting his light in this world in order that you might bring glory to the Father. And here are some practical ways to do it. Let me just wrap this up for you. Dare to be different. Bring your thinking in line with God's word. Don't allow your heart to become hard. Speak the truth. Practice self-control, give generously, be an edifier, and be gracious and forgiving. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Lord, thank you for the new life that you've given us in Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us by your spirit that we might put off the old self daily throughout every day. Lord, help us that we might not walk in the same way that we did, but let us walk differently. Let us walk in newness of life. Lord, may we reflect you to everyone around us, to your glory and for their good. And Lord, I pray if there's anybody here today who has not yet given you their heart, whose heart is still hard and their mind is still darkened, Lord, I pray that they would give their heart to you today. Lord, I pray that they would receive salvation and new life in Jesus and that they would begin to walk in that newness of life. For those of us who know you, who have received that new heart, Lord, Lord, may we protect our hearts that we might not become hardened against you. We might, we might not become callous. And Lord, would you help us to reflect Jesus to the world for your glory because you first loved us. We pray all that in Jesus' name. Amen.